again to another episode of the snap no tap podcast i'm tony Cicchini, along with the one and only uh world's greatest human joe joe cardinal uh, how you doing joe doing great as great as ever as you as you mentioned um doing having a really good time it's been a beautiful weekend sunny 60s out finally getting some spring around here yeah right uh you know sorry people for missing last month's last week's episode i've just been under the weather again and uh, well, we got a lot of topics. You know, we had a little um, workshop yesterday. So, so for, first of all, I want to thank Justin Brown, who's a Tri-C member, Tri-C student, who came out here a couple, three days ago or whatever it was, and uh, for a little Tri-C training and showed up at the workshop and got a hell of a lot of training in yesterday. Uh, and we had a, a, a guest or a student come in from Texas for the for the workshop um he's staying in chicago for a couple of weeks unfortunately he won't be able to make next week's workshop because that's the day he flies back out his name is desmond uh he he studied some uh wrestling and uh catch wrestling i don't know any of the his instructors but it was nice to meet him and hope he got a a nice taste of what it is that we do and how completely different it is than anywhere else uh with our tactics and uh uh applications so it was a nice time yeah we uh, speaking of taste uh we worked on some real good ripping details including fish hooking um which i think was it was you know things that people don't get uh a lot uh kind of the self-defense and kind of the the really nasty side of uh the things you were trained in well fish hooking apparently you know i've heard a lot of comments through the years and obviously that leads me to know that these people don't really understand fish hooking but as you saw repeatedly as i demoed it full blast uh there's no defensing it you're not going to bite my fingers and you're hopelessly pinned uh and you're just you know open to get your your mouth tore up there's a science to it as is as is everything it's just not oh indiscriminately reaching um it will take the no one is going to defend it. I mean, you know, resist it, I should say. Um, that includes myself if it's done properly and allow and I, and I slip up and allow the guy to get that access. And like the gentleman from Texas, Desmond was saying, you know, he watches these wrestling clips and he's like, man, they miss all this. Nobody's doing this. Nobody's doing this. And you, your whole structure of, of the way you've trained has to be like eliminated now, okay? You could be doing it a certain way for 20 years, and now when you start impl implementing different ways, not just ripping, but just different approaches and different tactics, you really have to start at square one. Um, it's like, okay, I gotta take everything apart, 
and start with a new foundation because you don't defend against these targets. So it's like a boxer who doesn't ever have to worry about defending leg kicks. Not in a boxing match. He doesn't have, you know, why would he train that? He wouldn't. He wouldn't train to stop a takedown because he doesn't have to worry about that in in uh in boxing. So the same holds true for any grappling or any MMA because of the rule sets and they're getting stricter and stricter. You don't have to deal with uh outside tactics and you become just as vulnerable. I, I know everybody has an ego and wants to think I can still take you out. You become very vulnerable just as a boxer thinks, well, I'll knock this guy out because I have far better strikes. Yet the boxer can get leg kicked out or he can get taken down by a wrestler and then it's a wake-up call. And as I've been preaching for 30 years or whatever, <laughs> uh, you're vulnerable. There's vulnerabilities and you need to start your training from day one with the mindset of, I have to become completely uh, impregnable. In, uh, I have to become invulnerable to all these tactics and and train appropriately for it. And so that's the psychological, the defensive, and the offensive applications properly of these, these techniques. Hmm. Well, I noticed you're wearing brown today, and I, I have, we have a, a Cleveland brown. We lost somebody, a, a giant, this week. Well, I don't. I can't get to my Cleveland Browns jersey. I would have worn it. I'll just get it right out and say this: Not only was Jim Brown the greatest running back or fullback, in my opinion, that ever played the game, he was the greatest football player. Uh, he's the Babe Ruth of football. Okay, there, there was no, uh, there's nothing comparable to to what he did. Uh, his athleticism, uh, and he was also a you know awesome legendary hall of fame lacrosse player as well uh and he spanned more than that yet we all know about well most of us know about his his personal issues or uh you know he's he's he was a rough guy in that regard kind of tells it like it is but he was civic minded at the time um he basically told art model to shove it up his ass and he walked away from you know a football career to focus on Hollywood. Uh, many of you may know him from uh, some of the, uh, they, they call it like the black exploitation movies, uh, Dirty Dozen, Running Man later on uh, in the 80s. Uh, you know, he, he was just uh, like a younger kid than me was raised on Michael Jordan in Chicago or before him, Walter Payton, if you were in Chicago. Me being a Clevelander, athletically, we probably had just two legends in Cleveland. I mean, like childhood, you, you talk about it all the time. And those two legends were Bob Feller, the pitcher for uh, the Indians, and Jim Brown. Uh, just, you know, he, he, he just was a great guy, uh, you know, as far as a football player. And... Some of his, you know, when he was doing the political stuff, I was too young to conceive all of that. You know, I I didn't understand it. I I didn't know. But, um, yeah, unbelievable loss. But he was 87 years old. You know, he, he lived a full life. The football took its toll on him, no question about it. But, uh, yeah, we lost a great one there. Yeah, amazing. And 
for years and years, like I said, obviously I'm a Chicagoan, and so we loved Walter Payton. But when I had serious conversations, like with my uncle and things like that, he'd be like, "No, Jim Brown." Like he, he would just say, "You know, Payton's great. He's an all-time amazing athlete." But yeah, Jim Brown's just far and above. You know, and that's nothing against Peyton at all, but no, uh, no. and um, but just saying what an amazing athlete Jim Brown was. Uh, that yeah, it was beyond just his position. Uh, that he's just the greatest. His one regret, football wise, he he said later, "I wish I would have blocked more." But when you talk about durability, uh, he played only nine seasons, set the all-time rushing record at that time, highest average per carry. Uh, he only he never missed a game. Okay. Uh, and he just was tough. He was just hard. He bounced back up off of heavy tackles. For his size, he was powerful. Um, I got to meet Gail Sayers. who Personally, I think Gail Sayers was a better running back than Walter Payton. His career, sadly, got cut short by injuries. See, so this can happen. This can happen to anyone, and especially back in those days. They didn't have the surgical rehabilitation like we do today. I can't, I, I keep thinking of, of Mickey Mantle, who, who would have done even greater things in his life if they could have surgically repaired uh, his knees. Uh, but Walter was, the, the difference is, I, I'm going to come from a Cleveland perspective. Um, Jim Brown led the league the whole league, eight out of nine seasons. Uh, Walter Payton never did that. I think Walter Payton may have only led the league in rushing once or twice in his career. He had a much longer career. But what it was is, this is not an insult on Walter Payton, but he just wasn't like super dominant. The guy that everybody was thinking was going to break Jim Brown's record was Franco Harris because Harris was creeping up. And Jim Brown was older at the time. I don't remember how old he was, but they had this challenge in the offseason between Franco Harris and Jim Brown, a series of events. I remember actually Brown lost in a foot race, but it was like a superstars kind of thing, head-to-head, and Franco ended up winning that. But once again, Franco was still an active football player, and Jim Brown was, you know, long since his career was over. But the point, the reason I bring that up is because Franco Harris was on the clock. It was like Franco's going to beat Jim Brown's all-time rushing record. And ironically, he never actually did. Um, and by the way, Franco just died recently, too. Franco's Italian army and all the he was a he was an enemy to us because he played for the Pittsburgh Steelers. And I can tell you, even though Franco Harris was half Italian, no, you're a Steeler. You're a Pittsburgh Steeler, man. We're <laughs> Cleveland. <laughs> Civic pride out, you know, surpasses Italian pride. So, uh, but another great, when I was a kid growing up, the, another great running back of, the, of that era or that time for the Vikings was Chuck Foreman. Okay. And then, you know, yeah, Peyton obviously surpassed uh, uh, Jim Brown's all time rushing record. And, and I, I believe he's still in second now because of Emmett Smith surpassing even that. But, uh, again, you know, Peyton played many more seasons and also played in more, you know, when, once they change to a 16-game uh, schedule, too, that gives all running backs an advantage, uh, you know, because Jim Brown didn't play ever in a 16-game season. So, uh, but, yeah, 
they're all great athletes. Uh, I never got to meet Jim Brown. I met Peyton, well, Walter Payton for a brief second when I first moved to Chicago, uh, just in passing in his parking lot of the of the club he owned. I said hi, hi, sweetness. I didn't. I was shocked. You know, I mean. He didn't even say hello, so I, I, that's the end of that. But I got to meet and shake hands with uh, um, uh, Gail Sayers, who had a nice handshake, um, and he was very pleasant. It was for a Hall of Fame induction sports-related uh, fundraiser here uh, in Chicago uh, several years ago. I went with Johnny Lira and Vince, my friend Vince. So, yeah, I got to meet Peyton, real nice. I mean, uh sayers and then sadly years ago i knew a football player who was the head of the retired nfl players association or whatever uh, some some retired football thing uh here in chicago he i i I would run on him every week and so he brings in this guy one time at the steakhouse just those two just to have some cocktails and get something to eat and he wanted me to meet the guy so I sit down with the gentleman, older man, and he introduces me to him, and he said his name is Ronnie Bull. And I said, oh, nice to meet you, Mr. Bull. I said, but I, I'm very sorry. I, I never heard of you. I'm from Cleveland, born and raised. So I don't know anything about the Bears. I don't really follow the history except for Brian Piccolo, Gale Sayers, and Walter Payton, and Butkus and shit. Oh, my God, Jim Brown, you came from Cleveland. He started going off about Jim Brown in a nice way, you know, just building him up. And I've got to tell you something. Ronnie Bull is a wonderful – he was a wonderful, friendly man to me, uh, you know, and did not get offended because I didn't know him. Uh, And he played with Gale Sayers, and he played with Brian Piccolo. And I remember asking him about Brian's song, the movie. And I said, how accurate was that movie? He said it was about 90% accurate. He said it was a balls-on movie. But I bring it up because here, here was another guy that, you know, could have just said, oh, okay, you're from Cleveland. Well, welcome to Chicago. But he, no, he was all about, he mentioned Jim Brown, Jim Brown. So he was very, Brown was very well respected for his athletic abilities. I've never heard any man ever say, well, he sucked at football, <laughs> ever. Yeah. Where would you put uh, Barry Sanders on that list? Okay. I'm glad you brought that up. So my, I'll tell you, Barry, if there's anybody at Brown's level to me, it's it's Barry Sanders, okay? Sanders, there's some similarities. Because Sanders walked away from his football career when he could have continued to play. Uh, He was sensational. Growing up, uh, Sanders came as when it was playing more when I was an adult. But growing up, the the most famous uh, running back was O.J. Simpson, okay? I mean, undoubtedly, he was the man. Um, and so he was. He always got the, the limelight. And then I think the next – see, you're coming from Chicago, so I'm sure Peyton got a lot of highlights, but I'm telling you now in Cleveland, Peyton wasn't big news, okay? Uh, but then Barry Sanders, Eric Dickerson, oh, you know, come on. Uh, but I'm going to throw a name out at you, and some old-time football players are going to know where I'm coming from with this. And I'll go on record to say, in my opinion, he was the greatest three-quarter 
running back that ever played the game. And I'll explain what I mean by that, that he took so much punishment, but in those first three quarters, he was pretty much unstoppable. And that's the great Earl Campbell. Wow. I mean, he had thighs as big as your head, Joe, and your head is enormous. So think Mm -hmm. about that. But he had something like 36 inch thighs or something. They were just gigantic. And he was was not fat, you know. Was he with the Oilers? Yes, the Houston Oilers, which again was another, you know, rival to us, uh, you know, because they were in our division, uh, the Browns. Uh, But boy, did I admire him. Now, he was just, see, I didn't really relate to any running backs from a physical standpoint. I I related to the wide receivers, okay, because that was my youthful goal was to either run the run the hundred meters in the Olympics or or be a wide receiver in the NFL. That's where I thought my, you know, that's where I wanted to go as a kid. That's what I wanted to do. But when you have guys like him, meaning Earl Campbell or, uh, you know, even OJ, OJ with the moves and stuff, um, they they really leave an impression on your mind. Uh, I never really got hooked on any quarterbacks. I mean, we had a great one before my time. Um, Otto Graham, Hall of Famer. But I I don't relate to quarterbacks. Uh, I didn't relate to the linebackers, you know, but uh, there was plenty of great linebackers. But there's others too. I, 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 when you start dropping names and then you forget, I forget, I forget, like there's, there's a lot of greats. But anybody who's who's come up for more than a cup of coffee in the NFL is great. Okay. I used to go where I used to see Curtis Enos all the time years ago, and he's a big dude. And, you know, he played in the NFL. You got to give the guy respect. Uh, but yeah, to me, I'd say Barry Sanders, um, Eric Dickerson was also, I mean, just super fast. Uh, you Some will say Bo Jackson, but once again, he didn't have a long enough career. So, you know, unfortunately, he, super athlete. Bo Jackson was a, you know, wonderful athlete. Uh, then you have guys that also had physical gifts, maybe more than Bo Jackson was Herschel Walker. You know, Walker was fast. Absolutely. for his, I don't think there was ever a man his size that fast uh you know he really was not quite a world-class sprinter he was a national caliber sprinter uh but man oh man you know but i i don't i wouldn't rank him as the greatest you know top three running backs i would not rate herschel walker there at all but um i'll go barry sanders i'll go number i'll go jim brown number one probably barry sanders number two and uh well, I guess you had to put Peyton there, but I, I, I'll throw in Eric Dickerson at number three, maybe Peyton number four. Yeah, just to me, talking about what, you know, as far as the game of football, yeah, the running game is the most exciting thing to watch. Just as far as the athleticism, um, I don't know the agility. I don't think any other sport really matches that. I mean, there's also the durability, obviously, because these guys are taking hits. So, um, but yeah, just well, the, the excitable thing is depending on where you're from. Like if I was from Dallas, the most exciting thing to me would be the cheerleaders, but that's just me. Yeah. Well, we all have our, you know, um, but definitely I'm just over a, a, something to watch as far as highlight reels. That to me, I mean, obviously like 
certain dunks in basketball are super cool to watch. But as far as me, like a like a really great either like a kick return or a run, you know, from behind the lines from running back. It's just amazing the agility uh, and the power too. It's just a, it's a, such a great mix that you just don't see that elsewhere. Well, Cleveland had historically Cleveland has been a uh, football wise has been a hotbed for running backs or fullbacks or halfbacks, however you want to label them. And predating Jim Brown was Marion Motley and then Jim Brown and then uh, Leroy Kelly and then Greg Pruitt and Mike Pruitt and all the way up to the, you know, Ernest Biner, who we Cleveland still has a not a love hate relationship with Biner, but you know, Biner fumbling on the two yard line, going into the end zone against the Broncos that would have sealed our fate. Him going in there, we 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 would have been in the Super Bowl. What happens? The the Broncos get the ball on the uh, two yard line. They drive ninety eight yards for the touchdown. Uh, I don't even want to mention his name, the quarterback. I don't want to even give the guy any more time on air. But you know, J E drove. You know, just and and they end up in a, they end up in the Super Bowl. So. That kind of, um, you know, irked me. But, yeah, Cleveland's historically had uh, solid running backs. Um, and, I, you know, that's just the way it is. You know, speaking of all-time greats, you've been watching some Groucho on uh... – Oh, well, not just Groucho. I Okay, this is very interesting. Groucho Marx, uh, who, I, of course, I've all, I was raised knowing him, but – or knowing of him and only would see him when he would appear on the tonight show or Merv Griffin or something, because we didn't have cable TV didn't exist or YouTube to see all of his old classics. But I always thought he was funny. Uh, he's very risque, but he's an ad libber par excellence. I mean, the guy could come up with a lot of ad libs. So the last few days I've been watching some clips of him and, uh, and I want to get to another subject. I won't l- give out the names just yet. But watching this morning some Groucho on his show, You Bet Your Life, one of the contestants was a plumber, okay, who during the introduction and all that, he eventually rip, pulls out of his pocket. He had written down a joke verbatim that uh, Groucho Marx had said on a episode several months before or whatever, basically making a joke about plumbers, okay, insulting plumbers. And he was pissed, okay. This contestant was, you know, upset, kind of gives a soliloquy about, you know, all the training that plumbers have to do and so on. And nobody doubts that, okay. Nobody doubts anything that anybody does, you you know. But, you know, Groucho apologized, and then he was kind of joking and, like, took the apology back. But Groucho kind of turned off the shtick for a while, and, and this is 1960. And basically said, look, we're at a place now where you can't insult the the, uh, the Irish, you can't insult doctors, you can't insult plumbers, electricians, dentists. He says, because everybody's getting upset. He says, Nobody has a sense of humor anymore. He says, this, this is turning into Russia. And I think that's very important for me to bring up because we're in, 19, we're in 2023. That's 63 years ago. And these People nowadays talk about 
cancel culture and woke or whatever label they put on there. People don't they have thin, stay all thin, thin skins. No, this exa- existed back then even, okay? Um, and, and the clips on YouTube, look up Groucho Marx and something in Angry Plumber. You, you'll see it, okay? Uh, so Groucho's talking about this back in the 60s, 1960. Uh, and that's why I relate when we do our podcast talking about street fighting or something, all this crime. This is nothing. This crime nowadays, we, we've always had this. It's, it's, been, it's, it's, it's nothing new. So I think people need to keep that in mind. Bear that in mind. What's old is new. <laughs> you know, it's funny you should mention that. And I wish I had some time to look it up before. Uh, but I remember, I, I think, I can't remember if it was, um, you know, with the Will Smith thing and the Oscars or whatever it was, but they're just talking about how, crowd, you know, uh, audiences are hostile, you know, even if it's not physical, like the Will Smith thing, just, you know, they exactly what you're saying, the political correctness, and you have to be careful what you say. And, um, but this person did research, I, I'm going to figure this out, maybe on the next podcast, or I'll email it to you after the show. Uh, but he documents like he went back through newspapers and art. it goes back even further than Groucho 1960s. You, I mean, they comedians have always had that complaint. And I think uh, to your point, I mean, I think you're good. These guys are going to touch nerves and people are going to be sensitive. And I think it's something they constantly have to be are, are, are working against. And it's, uh, you know, it's kind of the nothing is new under the sun uh, that, you know, society keeps repeating itself in cycles and, and it was what, and I, it was really funny because I think he did like a history of comedy. I think that's what it was. I, I, like I said, I'm. It's all just coming back to me here on the fly. But he, um, uh, really fascinating history. But he said, yeah, that is a constant theme throughout comedy, going way back. Like I'm talking probably 100 years or more, where they always said, oh, what I what I could do 20 years ago, I can't do today. Audiences can't take these jokes or whatever. I, I think it's just a constant uh, with their business and. Um, I think that's just the way maybe a part of the dynamic of society with comedians that they're, you know, they're. Well, you brought up the audience and that's a key thing. That's a big difference. I noticed, you know, the audiences today are raucous and the contestants are bam, bam, uh, bombastic and everything and flamboyant where back then they were more reserved. They were more, they, they carry themselves to, in my opinion, more ladylike and more gentlemanly. Um, uh, they, and there was a sort of, shyness in a way so you can tell some of these people are like uncomfortable or you know just shy and even the plumber that I, the angry plumber was laughing you know along with some of the things that um groucho said and whatever so it wasn't like he was storming in there um but it was it was that's the biggest thing i see the difference in in some of the crowds or how just people in general dressed acted and behaved um yeah, I don't. I think that's lacking. In this is for my taste. This is just for me. It 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 it, it lacks. Like I, you hear me complain about just even going shopping. How people dress, even when they go shopping, uh, sometimes they're in their pajamas. And I mean, there's no more. Um, <laughs> to me, there's no more etiquette. Right? Uh, what was that? Emily Post or whoever it was that used to do the etiquette thing. Uh, I wish that should be mandatory reading through. You know. Not only just through school your school years, but you know, every day of your life, just to carry yourself um, in a nice, in a nice, pleasant way. I think if you look good, I don't mean like your kind of looks. You know, I'm talking no physical. If you dress nice, um, 
it just changes your impression. Uh, you know, you just give off a more positive vibe. It, it, and and, I'm, and I don't think I'm wrong. Uh, I really don't. Uh, but now you have people who are either don't care and they, they look seriously like slobs or they they look ridiculous with the clothing that are, is just about accentuating sexuality or you know whatever uh maybe i'm a, maybe i'm just an old grouchy guy now but i i kind of wish we could get back to where everybody was like you know like there was a nice unwritten dress code well there we have lost some class as a society and i'm gonna i'm gonna join you in the old old man complaining uh I think we're both we're both uh, allowed to do that now at our advancing years to bitch about things. But I'm guilty of it too, though. I'm Mister Sweatpants at home. I mean, I'm I definitely there's kind of like a lazy convenience to uh, dressing comfortably. Uh, and it's funny because we were talking about the um, running backs, and I kind of wish if I had thought about it, I would have inv- invited my um, friend Dwayne from Detroit to talk I'm about. Dwayne. Yeah, great guy. Uh, loves talking sports. And but the reason I bring him up here is he talked about so he's. He's kind of raised by his grandparents in Detroit. And he says, I never saw my grandfather in jeans. Never. Oh, me neither. Like, that did not happen. And his father was not like a business office guy. He worked, you know, in Detroit and I think in the Ford plants or whatever. But, you know, his dad always dressed up. You know, he's always was dressed nice. And he said an example, and actually, Dwayne, I see it when he at work now, too. A lot of people, you know, they're working from home and they're doing the Zoom meetings and they're dressed casually. And Dwayne always has like a, you know, a collared shirt. He always tries to look professional. Um, so uh, it's something to think about that. Yeah, that it's something that we've lost a little bit um, and we should kind of work to uh, go back against. Well, here's a little trivia about myself. I never had a pair of jeans until I was a senior in high school. And I, I remember one day walking into school with, with jeans on, and it was like Moses parting the Red Sea. Everybody was like, shit, because I had gone to school with these people, some of them, for three years, 10th and 11th grade and 12th grade. Oh, my God, he, you're wearing jeans? And a couple of girls even approached me. Oh, man, you all right? Wear jeans more often and shit. So, you know, yeah, I never, I never did that. Well, part of it was because going to Catholic school, jeans were forbidden. You you had to wear dress pants and a dress shirt. So from first grade all the way to through, through ninth grade, that's all I had was dress pants and you know shirts. So tenth grade when I started in public school, um, I didn't, I didn't even have a pair of jeans. You know, in the summer, they're kids. You wear shorts. You know, and around the house, you know, I, I was like you. I I wore, I didn't wear jeans. I just didn't have jeans. I had maybe uh, work pants, whatever you want to call it. But yeah. Um, my grandfather never, never had a pair of jeans, never saw him in a pair of jeans. I did see my grandmother in pants though. She would wear slacks, you know, cause that was accepted, um, you know, for a long time. But you know, when she'd go to church, which she did every week, she always had a skirt or dress on, you know, there was a dress code at church, you know, Catholic church back then. You, you, you know, you couldn't wear tennis shoes or anything like, well, I don't have tennis shoes on now, but you still, you couldn't wear tennis shoes. But yeah, I missed that. You, if you go back to the twenties and thirties and look at pictures or film clips of baseball games, people wearing suits and ties for God's sake and, and you know, hats. But I mean, we don't need to go to that extreme, but yeah, I, I have a closet full of suit coats and, sport coats and jackets and shit but um 
I, I really can't wear it out here. Because and I, I again I I seem to say that a lot, but you stick out like a sore thumb uh, because the people out here just don't dress. I I'll share this with you. Several years ago, I I went to a place and there there was this you know really just breathtaking uh, bartender and she, you you know she worked out and I was working out so I was all you know and you know just nobody was friendly in this place at all. And she goes, well, you're just overdressed. And I was dressed similar to this, okay? Mm-hmm. Collared shirt, you know. I, I, uh, I, I normally wear Henley shirts. Um, but regardless, the next time I'm in there, so I wear a T-shirt. And uh, she's like, no. And I swear to you, this is exactly how this went down. I'm like, what do you mean no? Is it everybody else in here has a T-shirt. Now I have a t-shirt on. What's the problem? She looked at me dead serious and she said, you don't have any writing on your shirt. <laughs> so and I, she was serious. It has to have Harley or it has to have some bullshit on the shirt. And I'm like, okay, I'm not, not going to fit in in this, in this area, period. Because I'm, I'm not going to, like you yesterday wore your catch wrestling shirt. I don't even have one. You know, I don't wear that kind of stuff. You know, I don't wear a business shirt or my my old catch wrestling shirts to advertise myself. When I'm out, it's it's not about business. It's it's about personal presentation. And I'd rather look more neat appearing. Uh, and in Chicago, you know Chicago, uh, being born and raised there, you know, you can look, you know, at the pizza shop, the people in there were all dressed nicely. Everybody was nicely dressed. Not suits and ties, but clean, nice, great presentation. Make made me feel good. Put you it just puts you in a good mood. But when you come out here with, you know, skull t-shirts or, you know, uh whatever the crap is on there, you know, some nasty profanity shit. I don't wanna see that, man. <laughs> Male or female, I don't wanna see it. So um yeah, I I I'll never fit in. <laughs> out here so yeah i got all these clothes i can't wear them out here <laughs> i'll say this on the on the, the plus side of the t-shirt with writing um it is interesting i've used it a lot so like i have t-shirts of bands i like or, or other things and i will connect with people who who like that so it is it is interesting kind of a a way of uh socializing or reaching out and making uh connections and community via t-shirts um, so it's two it sides. Be, yes, there's two sides to everything, of course. But, uh, you know, it's all on, on, you know, the when and the where, too, you know. Um, so. Uh, well, let me give you this. OK, let's say you. Well, I know you're married, so I don't mean it directly, but you you meet this beautiful, wonderful woman. And you want to impress her. And you're out on your first date. I mean, are you going to, you know dress like a bum like a hobo or do you want to look really good and that's the way i've always approached my life especially since i've been single most of my life every time i walk out that door maybe the opportunity for me to be on that first date to meet that woman she could be the cashier she could be filling up her gas tank in her car right next to mine and there it is here i am uh, I'm looking as good as I can look. And that's a first impression. And I mentioned on the podcast before that I got that 
from Dick Cantino, uh, the famous accordionist who I knew, um, who also did movies back in the early 50s or something. And he was part still of that Hollywood system. And he's the one who told me, always look your best. You have a suntan or whatever. Always look your best, dress to the nines, dress like you're going out on a job interview or, you know, whatever. And that's how they taught those actors and actresses back then to never go out of the house unless you look like you're, you just walked off a movie set. Um, and yeah, I, I've carried that with me with exceptions when I'm, you know, just out of sorts. But for the most part, I, I carry that with me. Uh, and that that's just how I want to be. Now, I'm not going to sit here and say I have never worn T-shirts. Of, of course I have, you know, if it's super casual. Uh, but I tend to do that more when I have a girlfriend. And that kind of, like, eases the tension. Um, like, let's say I have a girlfriend and you and me and a few other guys are going to go out to watch a baseball game, you know, and have a few beers. Yeah, I'm not going to dress up for that because she's going to be thinking, oh, my goodness, he's out looking for, you know, other women. So, yeah, I'll wear a, a Cleveland Indians things or the Guardians, whatever. And uh, but. So that's just my outlook on it. That's just how I look at it. But, yeah, I, I don't even like being I don't even like hanging out with a friend, a guy buddy when he's dressed like shit. I just, you know, I don't like that. <laughs> I'm just I don't. I like this. I think this is going to be a good pivot for the podcast to kind of be a kind of a fashion tips location for our friends, you know, and for the greater society. Match your socks with your shoes. I mean, with your belt. Okay, Everything's got to be color coordinated. Your shoes, your belt. Think, people don't think about this. Do you tuck your shirt in? Do you leave it out? Um, where's the crease in your pants? How long are your cuffs? Uh, there, there's so much to it. But being color co- coordinated, matching um, is really important. And your shoes, your shoes should always look awesome. Okay, don't they don't have to be, you know, Ferragamos or or Gucci's or something, but they have to be nice. They have to be clean. Don't go out with dirty sneakers and shit. Uh, and your tennis shoes, if you're wearing tennis shoes. I know there's a fashion trend where now they're wearing casual shoes with sport coats and suits. That's ridiculous. Okay. It's not going to hold up. It's not going to hold the test of time. 20 years from now, you know, we're going to be laughing at those people just like we laugh at the way they dressed in the seventies. Okay. So just be timeless. Right. Uh, And make sure that your clothes fit you properly. Make sure you have a belt that is sized properly two inches larger than your waist. Okay, your actual waist. Uh, don't get a too tight of a belt, or don't get one of these ones where they wrap around you like a friggin' string on a top. You know, I'll go on all day about this shit. <laughs> I love it. Um, yeah, you're right as far as the shoes thing, and it's another thing. Kind of uh, a lot of guys, I think, can be oblivious to. I mean, I'm definitely part of the gym shoe culture. I'm very lazy with my shoes, and I need to up my game there. Uh, I remember a girl I talked to years ago at work. But she said a guy showed up for a date and he had dirty shoes and she called the date right there. He had dirty. Well, give me your number. Give, give me the. Give me your number. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But she said, I mean, you know, yeah, you come with dirty shoes. It's the, you do not care at that point. She, um, so uh, 
Yeah, and what else? Well, I never walk with your head down, okay? Like, you know, like you're walking around like this, like you're looking at the ground. Uh, and I don't mean that even from a fighting standpoint or situational awareness standpoint. You're just giving off loser vibes, man. And you are. You're, 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 you're self, unless you have a neck injury, naturally, your self-esteem is, is low. Um, don't stick your head out or puff your chest out like you're some proud as a peacock guy. But keep your head straight. Don't have your head bobbling all over the place, you know, like a mama Luke. Keep your head up, chin nice, be strong. Give off that presentation. Know when to use the right hand gestures. Know when to expand your elbows and, and make yourself look wider when you're when you're talking. Uh, know your space too. Know when to lean a little bit, when to get away. Um, be conscious of your body language. Don't let it be subconscious. Okay. I look back at pictures that people have taken uh, with me in it. Or so, because so I can judge the situation. I'll look back and I, I could tell who this the person who I'm with, what they're thinking, just because unconsciously they're they're giving some body vibe off. So yeah, you need to be aware about all that stuff and and have a repertoire so that you can fit in. Unless you go to the same places all the time, got to have a repertoire where you can fit in. Topics, know a little bit about different nationalities and this and that. I think you know me to know that one of my shticks was I always wanted to know some, a little bit of a lot of languages. So if I if I met somebody from Hungary or if I met somebody from Germany or Poland or something, I could just start saying a few words like can't hold a conversation, perhaps, but it at least shows them that I I am I'm aware of your culture. And I respect your culture enough to at least attempt to learn a little bit about it. I'm not, a, you know, an ignorant American or something, you know. That's just that's just me, though. That's just how I like to be. Yeah, and it's just not even kind of what I would consider kind of the known languages or more uh, mainstream. I'm not sure what the right term is, but you know some some phrases in what I would consider a little bit more uh, B-tier or, or uh obscure like you talk to one of the guys in our seminar you, you in croatian i think you you had some yeah. trade. so that's that's pretty impressive um well i don't know impressive but i mean yeah i can i'll talk some croatian some serbian some slovenian some polish italian uh a few words in irish uh i gotta work on my english but you know <laughs> you can't no but I, I yeah you're right part of it though too is you know Again, being, I've come from two very ethnic cities, Cleveland and Chicago. Okay, they're they're very ethnic, and while there is an overlap, the the overlap is really Polish and Italian. But Cleveland has the largest Cleveland land. Okay, the general area has the largest Slovenian Croatian population in America. Okay. So you have a lot of Slovene, Slovenes and Croats there um, and some Serbs um, and Bosnians. And, you know, um, so I, I, I was exposed to that. Uh, and then the Irish, I know you, you probably met some of my friends from Ireland. And, and, the, and the funny thing about that is they don't really even speak Gaelic. You know, the, 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 you know, that's so that's. 
the little Gaelic I learned, I, I've, I've had to dig for it. Okay, I've had to dig deep uh, because not every Irish person knows that, um, which is fascinating to me. It's almost becoming like a lost language in, in a sense. But so because of all the Croatian and all the other languages, it, it started to uh, make me want to learn a little bit of different things. Again, not enough to hold a conversation, but just enough to, you know, get the point across. And I always tried to learn compliments, female ways, you know, in in these languages. So I could go up to a girl and say, man, you really look pretty today, you know, in her native tongue. Uh, you know, because I figure, wow, this, this girl is going to love me now. She's going to think I'm great. Uh, that never worked out, you know. <laughs> So do you have, what, like, do you have, if you come meet someone who has a language you don't know, do you spend some time, do you, do you use that as an opportunity to learn some of the phrases? I do. And unfortunately now, because of my memory loss, I don't retain it. But yes, I, I absolutely, oh, I, absolutely, I, I do that. And, and not just with languages that I'm not familiar with, even languages that I am familiar with, like, let's say Polish, for example, because there's a lot of that in Chicago. I'll have an American-Polish friend talking to the Polish girl, Polish lady from Poland, and they're jabbering you know, back and forth, and I'll, I'll pick, I'll get the gist of what they're saying, but then they'll throw in some word that, you know, in Polish, that shtere, or whatever, some word that, you know, they may not use too often. And I'll wait till they're then talking, and I'll be like, what, that, what does that mean? You know, um, you know, tell me what, what it means. Or like in Polish, you have, which is basically the same word, uh, dobra and dobrze, okay? Which basically means good, but when do you use it? When do, you, when do I use dobra? When do I use dobrze? We should have Martin on for this. So they, and I would ask them, when, when do I say this? You know, um, the, the other one was, um, oh, uh, uh, something, uh, I forgot what it was in, oh, ma, okay, matku boja, okay, like mother of God, but some say, no, it's mas, uh, masko bojem, bojem, okay, so what, when would I say it one way, when would I say it uh, the other way, you know, because that's where I think European languages are different than ours. You you say words, you know, kind of like differently. Like we'll always say "good." Good fits in almost anywhere in our language, but it doesn't in theirs. Their their equivalent of it uh, may be different. So that's hard. And I and I get I get I, I like asking about that. When do I say it this way, or when do I say it that way? Language is fascinating. We should actually get my daughter on here. She, obviously, she, she teaches, uh, or, you know, she does speech pathology and, and linguistics was her background. Uh, but it is fascinating how, and I don't know what the trans, transition is. I should talk to Casey because he speaks Thai now. He's been, you know, in Thailand for five years. Where you, where you sound it's like a native. Thai. Yeah. Um, but, and there's just so many confusing things like that. And just a native speaker can hear it you can hear when someone knows your language but just has a few phrases that are off just enough to say oh you know they're they learned it or they're still learning it or that they didn't grow up here uh, and it's subtle 
And that's, it's kind of, uh, yeah, it's imagining for someone who's trying to learn the language, it's, it's got to be a point of frustration or, or just constant refinement. Um, well, here's one for you. Uh, the, the classic Italian song, O Solo Mio, right? Uh, my favorite Italian singer uh, was Sergio Franchi, okay? Uh, he made it big here in America, marvelous tenor, unbelievably good. And uh, operatic, but he would sing, you know, show tunes and stuff. He couldn't sing jazz or anything. But anyhow, I remember when Paolo Giordani, he's from Italy, Tri-C guy, when he was here. Uh, now, he's born and raised in Italy. Uh, that's his native tongue. So there's no way I'm going to know Italian better than him. So I'm like, we say a solo mio, right? O solo mio. He goes, yeah, right. Why does Sergio Franchi, when he sings it, sing O Sola Mie, right? Not Mio, Mie. Paolo didn't have an answer for that. He, he didn't know why he did that. It has, so it had to be like a, see, uh, uh, like a Franchi dialect? was from, from Cremona area, so it had to be a dialect thing or, you know, yeah, a local, like we would say, y'all. Or like a regional dialect thing? Yeah, yeah. like it, it would have to be. Because Paolo, see, now we speak an, an Americanized Italian. We'll say, like a, our American slang, when Paolo was here, one of, the, one of the times he was here, I took him to, you know, Richard's, and, you know, a lot, all of us, you know, goombas are in there, and he didn't understand half the shit we were saying, okay? Um, and he's like, wow, we don't. That's not how we say this word. You know, you, you guys aren't saying it right. But we could have literally hopped on a plane, gone to New York or San Francisco, and got with a bunch of Italian-Americans there, and those guys would have said it exactly like I say it and the fellows at, at, uh, at Richard's because the Italian-Americans have their own way now or way of, of, of saying some Italian stuff. Okay. I remember Bobby Parts. He also passed away. Bobby uh, was half Italian, half Polish. And, but he lived in Italy and he was married to an Italian. He speaks, he's, well, he's passed away, but he spoke great Italian. So, I, hey, you and Paolo, let's play ball. You know, go for it. <clears throat> they understood each other. And then after it was over and done with, you know, Paolo's like, well, now, his, his, his Italian isn't all that good. Okay, Paolo's the expert on it, you know. Uh, but, yeah, we, we just have our, our way of, of saying certain words that, you know, they don't say over there in, in the old country. Yeah, and well, even, you know, um, American English versus British English and how that's deviated. Uh, it's just kind of fascinating to see real tangible ways how uh, these things evolve and you know how the fact trying to read you know uh, Shakespeare's English how much different that is how you can almost not understand it that you really have to almost you know have uh, notes and explanations to it uh, it just it's it's fascinating how that it's not static and it keeps uh, changing uh, and it's yeah geography is a big part of it you get separated by an ocean things just kind of take their own take off on their own and have influences um, you know, it'll be interesting to see where these languages are in a hundred years from now. Well, you let me know. Yeah, for sure. Well, you know, I'm, I'm getting more fiber these days, so I'm, I'm, I'm planning to be around. 
Um, well, that kind of reminds me when you say that, that, you know, fiber, there was this guy that had died. He lived to be a, a hundred and he died and he goes to heaven and he may meet St. Peter at the, at the pearly gates. Well, and, this is a true story. Yeah. St. Peter is showing him around heaven. He's like, Jesus, it's so beautiful. This is perfect. Oh, wow. And then the guy goes, God damn it. I could have been here 30 years ago if my wife wasn't a health food fanatic, you know, so that kind of reminds me of that, you know. Um, but truthfully, you have to see my grandmother spoke several languages. Okay. And I regret not picking her brain. I just didn't care as a kid. I should have picked her brain more, but she not only spoke American, uh, English, Italian, fluent Polish, uh, she spoke Polish as good as she spoke English, believe it or not, because she was raised in a Polish neighborhood in Cleveland growing up. And she also spoke German, but what they called low German, okay? I guess, now, I'm not a German expert. I, I just know my German from people, you know, just, I never studied it officially. High German, low German. So she spoke what was called low German. And then she could understand a little bit of Russian, but predominantly Polish. And so these languages can be also a bone of contention because my grandmother was on the phone every day, you know, with her lady friends. And it's funny because she'll, she'd be in the other, we, we, we didn't have a phone in the living room. We, we had a phone two rooms over. All right. So she'd be in the room two, two rooms over on the phone talking to her lady friend, uh, Clara Royak. Okay. So she's saying, how you doing, Clara? You know, uh, it's a bright sunny day or whatever, and so my so that 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 room that was two rooms over is right next to the kitchen, and we had a bathroom over there. So my grandfather would have to walk past my grandmother to either go to the kitchen or go to the bathroom, and she's gabbing away, gabbing away. My grandfather gets up, walks through there. All of a sudden, they're talking Polish now. Okay, <laughs> she, no more English. Eddie, my grandfather's coming up. Oh, you know, Edju, you know, which is Eddie in Polish, Edju. And then she's rambling off in Polish. And my grandpa would come back in the living room. He's grumpy. She's making that damn Polak shit. You know, so, and I know that too, because I dated a lot of Polish girls, Polish women. And we'd be out and she'd be with her girlfriends or guys that she knew. And they they all, they, they were from Poland, all these people, but they could speak English and they're talking English and shit. And then my the girlfriends, they, they knew they had to be careful with me because, you know, I knew enough to pick up some shit. But sometimes the stuff I pick up is exactly that. Shit, I get it wrong, okay? But I would hate it when they would be talking in English and then, boom, right away in Polish. Hey, you know, don't do this. This is like this is like ignorant. This is like whispering and shit. You well, know? It, is, it, is, it is rude. It is a social yeah. form to talk. Because you're basically talking, yeah, you're talking behind someone's back in front of them. And they know it, you know, yeah. they know that you're talking in code. Um, uh, but it is fun. I've had some friends and my kids. So Haley, she was, um, well, actually, both of my kids have pulled this shtick because uh, they both taught overseas. So Haley taught in Germany and Casey taught in Thailand. And when they get a new class, a lot of times they'll walk in and they're, they're kind of introduced as the American, you know, uh, substitute teacher, whatever it is. And the kids will start talking in their native language in front of them. You know, it'll be an English class, so they'll be talking in English to the kids, uh, but the kids will be talking to each other, what entire German or whatever. And uh, then at the end of the class, my kids usually 
say goodbye to them and tie and say a few things and you know they they kind of yeah. look into them and let them know and the kids get all because they realize but you get they get the good vibe as to what the kids are really up to you know by they kind of go in stealth mode uh radio silent as far as the native language uh for a while uh and then i've had a buddy uh joe martinez i don't think you've met him but he's puerto rican but you know uh you know totally looks like a gringo and you know like he's been on the train where people are talking about him in spanish and you know that's just right in front of him you know and he can pick it all off and they they don't realize you know people make assumptions about the uh, way people look and what they know and uh yeah i mean it can be to your advantage if you play it right but it's also you can maybe hear some things you don't want to but well i got something on that note i was on a train from Chicago to New York. And that's long, you know, it's long, right? At one point, I went to the dining car and I had to share a table with this husband and wife, Amish. Okay, they were Amish. They were in the mm-hmm. garbs and everything. Hi, how are you? They introduced themselves and so on. Now, I'm trying to eat. They're eating. Guess what? They start speaking in their lingo and it's very Germanic. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Very Germanic. So I waited till, so now they're not speaking in, in English. So I waited until they were done with their little spiel. And I said, Oh, German based. Wow. They got nervous because now I know now they were talking about me. Well, I had no idea what they were saying, but I knew that it, it was like German. And he's like, Oh yeah, that's based on, you know, and then, it, it was kind of funny. They didn't speak in, in German anymore at the table because, you know, they, they figured this guy knows what we're talking about. I had no clue what they were saying. I just, I knew a few words in German enough to know that, you know, um, I had no idea they were talking about me, but they kind of gave it away by, by not, not doing it again, you know? So, uh, yeah, it's kind of interesting. Uh, I, I think as a culture, we should really be striving to be multilingual. Um, you know, it's just, why not? Why not? Why not have that skill and start it young with the kids? You know, they, for me, they, they started like in high school for a lot of kids in their education. That's just way too late. You know, you just, you don't pick stuff up naturally. You're already starting to kind of. Well, it's funny you say that because mo- many, many families feel the opposite. Uh, I know that there was a lot of kids that their parents were like, no, they're like the first, like the parents are the immigrants. No, we, you learn America, you learn English. You're an Amer- we're going to be Americans here. Uh, and, and absolutely, like my mother, my grandparents never spoke Italian. My mother didn't know the first, didn't know the first words in Italian. I don't even know if she can count at all. Well, she can't do anything now, but you know what I meant. Right. Um, so, yeah, because they were all gung-ho America, you know, American, American, American. Uh, and, you know, I think it was the same with my dad, you know, um, my dad's first, you know, his parents, they, they're immigrants. Okay. And I heard my dad sing a few things because my dad was a musician. I didn't hear him. I didn't meet my dad many times, but I, I would hear, hear him sing some Italian songs and he didn't get these words right all the time. Right. So I'm thinking, well, yeah, maybe he, maybe they didn't speak it at, at the house either. And, uh, so um, I think it's twofold. I, I, I think that some of the immigrants wanted to learn English themselves, and they did. And, and don't get me wrong, 
there many times there was the Italian in 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 certain households, and some kids would pick it up. But a lot of times that was their little secret language, mm. so that the parents could talk and not have the kids understand them. Um, and I know that a lot of a lot of kids, or a lot of adults now, older than me, that used to speak a such and such language, Polish or Italian or whatever, they told me, "Yeah, I was raised for the first five years of my life speaking Italian or whatever." And that's probably during the transition when their parents were trying to learn English as well. And then he says, "And then we, you know, I didn't I didn't speak it, so I've lost it. I've lost my ability to speak." So I would be interested if somebody. Uh, maybe a college kid for his uh, thesis would would do some research into that and find out how many families of immigrants. I, I would think the Spanish are more they they keep that thing going, uh, but that's probably because this country almost you know expects it. But let's talk about different languages uh, and and see. And I'm not talking about like our Bruce, our Bruce Lee, who was born overseas. You know, uh, I'm talking about. You were born here, but your parents were born there. Uh, I'd like to know the percentages of, of of how many heard their native tongue and was forced to learn their native tongue uh, in this country and keep that native tongue up. I, I'd be curious. And I think that's probably changed over time. I mean, you know, back in, in our grandparents' day and, and before that, yeah, native tongue, there was probably a lot of pressure not to, you know, like there's probably looked down on or, you know, snubbed a lot. They probably got a lot of pressure. And like you said, maybe it's on their own. They want to keep it kind of their, their secret, even from their kids. But I think there was a lot of pressure to try and at least have their kids integrate. Um, and it's, it's, it's a trade-off. I think it's unfortunate, that instinct, because I think you can integrate perfectly fine. I mean, we talk about the Hispanic culture. I mean, there's a lot, like my friend Joe, he speaks both fluently fine, no problem, you know. Um, but uh, it's a shame that, you know, a lot of, I think they didn't realize maybe what they were losing, you know, what they were giving up and that they maybe didn't necessarily have to, but I'm sure there were just tons of pressure uh, to try and as quickly as possible, you know, for maybe their kids' generation integrate. Um, well, a, a, you know, a week ago, uh, yeah, I think it was a week ago or either a week ago or two weeks ago, a week ago, I, I run into this Spanish guy who, yeah, it was two weeks ago. I ran into this Spanish guy who doesn't even speak hello. He doesn't even know that in English. Nothing. He knows zero. And uh, there's two other guys, American guys. And, you know, so I, I know very little. I don't remember. I knew more Spanish in the past. But again, you know, I don't remember things. So I quickly blew through trying to help this guy. I, I quickly blew through my my Spanish. And I'm done. So I... All right, I'm going to speak Italian to this guy. Maybe he can pick up. Maybe he knows a little bit. Maybe he can figure it out. Um, some people mistake Italian for Spanish, but only on certain words. Okay. Um, others, no. Okay, like Comus account. Okay, my name is, and then Tony. Uh, he had no clue. Okay, so I had to kind of use gestures. Tony, you, you know, what's your name? Uh, I don't know how to ask what your name is in in Spanish. I mean, I, I I'm sure I did years ago, but I don't any longer. But it was it was a very it was a struggle. And then I didn't even know this, but this guy had some app or some shit. So he starts to pull out his phone. And he's saying something in Spanish. And then he's showing me the phone. I'm like, oh, that's I'm out of touch. You know, I didn't know you could do that. 
But yeah, he has some English to or Spanish to English translation. But what was funny about his translations, they were not very accurate. Like the, <laughs> the English was like, you know, not very uh very uh, accurate. Um so but yeah, it was it's a struggle, man. But it's fun. I, I enjoy it. I know a lot of people out here don't want to hear it where I live. I love I love different languages, and that's like well, that's why when I go to Chicago, I want to go to the Polish thing, Polish places, just to keep up with my Polish. You know, I can't, there's no Italian places for me to hit anymore, so I, I can't do that. But uh, I've gotten in trouble with my Spanish. You know, I've said the wrong thing, man, and sometimes, you know, you say just one letter off, you could start you know, the Mexican-American war all over again, okay? <laughs> uh, I did the same shit with an Italian thing on a, on a flight. Kevin, the best Kevin that got killed, my, my buddy, he always wanted me to tell the story on how I had this whole damn, there was like three or four Italians sitting in front of me. I was younger. I don't know how old I was, like 30s. And they were probably like late 20s, so we're close in age, I guess. And they're going on and on and on. And uh, basically, um, what I wanted to say to the one girl, um, I guess I could get away with saying this on the, on the podcast. I just wanted to tell her that, you know, um, you have a real pretty face. You know, um, I've, I've said it before, but <laughs> the way it came out was, I want you to piss on my face. Okay. So <laughs> she's, yeah, okay. She's screaming now at me. She's screaming and screaming and screaming at the top of her lungs. And, and, and the, the flight attendant comes over. It's like, what, what, what's going on? It's nothing. I, I just, told, I wanted to tell her she, she had a pretty face. That's all. And I guess somebody in the clique spoke enough English to know that I didn't mean anything by it. So they, they tried to calm her down. And then 15 seconds would go by. She's totally silent. 15 seconds would go by. Then she jumps up again, starts screaming at me because she was just so, so offended by that. I didn't, I didn't mean that, you know. And then somebody, like one of the passengers says, what the hell? What the hell did the guy say? And her girlfriend says, he he wants her to piss on his face, <laughs> which is not what I wanted. But anyway, yeah, even the flight attendant had a laugh at that one. I mean, I didn't get kicked off or anything. I'm like, yeah, that's it. You know, um, yeah, it's uh, it, it just sometimes you just have to be careful. I don't know wherever region she was. You know, you know, why I, I had to take a pisha. Oh, well, that's what I said when I got to go take a piss. So I'm going to take a pishad, right? Um, and, uh, it faces Facha. So somehow or another, I screwed up. <laughs> so, yeah, I guess there is a little bit of risk be forewarned that, yeah, that you can occasionally misstep, but that's, that's hilarious. Um, well, it should happen. I mean, who cares? You know, I, it's, right. you know, it's a lot of times if, if they can pick up that you don't really know the language, they'll cut you slack. Um, you know, I found that with, uh, when Sasha and I went to, um, Paris, you know, I spent about um, the month leading up to it, you know, there's an app Duolingo that, you know, you can go through language drills, and I did some flashcards, and, you know, I, it is different when you're under fire, 
trying to do language. Like for me, that's, that's when it starts, the anxiety builds up when someone's interacting. But I think, you know, cause you always get the, um, you know, we hear, you know, the, the thing from France is that they're very rude, you know, that they're rude to foreigners and things like that. And I, unfortunately we did not have that experience. Uh, uh, they probably felt sorry for me when I was trying to like speak French, but at least they saw I trying to make the effort. They're like, okay, this guy doesn't know what he's talking about, but I knew enough key phrases to be able to ask. And then they, they, they had, they had better English than I had French. And so quite often they worked with me. Uh, but I think just willing to make that effort can go a long way uh, to showing people that you, uh, yeah, that you're willing to work with them. Um, so that, I, I think it's, you know, if you're traveling, definitely spend some time trying to, uh, it'll just save you, you know, knowing some key phrases, where to go and how to, how to, to be safe. Um, but yeah. Um, well, mine was just a slip of the tongue. I just, you know, just didn't pronounce it right. And she was from a different region where it was, I did that once in Spanish too. I, I, for all of our Spanish listeners out there, I meant to say shoes, and it came out uh, a female body part. So you guys will you'll know exactly what word I said in Spanish and what word I meant to say in Spanish. Um, <laughs> so they'll know. And that one went over like a fart in church too, man. What did you say? <laughs> all right, <laughs> meant to say nice shoes. You know, didn't come out that way. Still, it's a compliment either way, you know. Um, yeah, well, you know. But, it, you know, I, <laughs> I, I, I don't know. what. Go ahead. What now? Yeah, I just said you can't please everybody. No, no, you can't. But, uh, you know, pleasing everybody is, is something that uh, you, you become phony. Okay. Now, you also have to have some filter. I tend to be more outspoken. I'll just say what I feel. But I'll, I'll try not to, like, be really, like, rude, like, like name call. But I'll just say, no, that that's that sucks or that's just not that's not good um you know but uh but i'm also by nature i'm just high strung okay and almost 60 years old i'm still high strung so i'll I'll probably always be high strung unless you know catastrophically i you know i become a a vegetable but um but no you you give up on trying to please everybody you know uh but what's that song you can't please everyone so you got to please yourself um i don't even know if i would take it to that extreme about pleasing myself i just i've just decided you know i know i can't please everybody like with girl like women right you're not you're not going to be everybody's cup of tea and vice versa and it doesn't mean that they're horrible or hideous or you know dysfunctional they're just not your type but they could be very pretty uh they could be beautiful but Maybe their personality's crud, you know, and I use, hey, I don't want to deal with this or vice versa. You know, they they can maybe not be that pretty, but their personalities are all right. You know, I think people always wonder like, wow, come on, the people, you know, are like 20, 30 years older than you. Well, I'm, I'm used to being around older people and older people are not looking for anything out of me like that. You're like, I could talk to an 80 year old woman. It's my mom's age, roughly, you know. She's not looking at me with desire. You know, we could actually have a talk, you know. Uh, uh, whereas I may not be able to have that same exact talk with a wo- woman my age or, or a little bit younger because they'll right away think he's hitting on me. Okay. Uh, and vice versa, you know. Uh, so, and, and, and same thing like with older older guys, you know. 
I could say something to an older guy because he he's he's like old, you know. He's he's like, well, I'm sure this Tony guy isn't looking to kick my ass. But if I said the same thing to a 25 year old, the 25 year old is going to think, well, you you want to throw down, old man. So, you know, you got to watch what you say to people, or sometimes just don't say anything. But you know, I, I just felt always have felt more comfortable, I guess, because of being raised by my grandparents and being around old timers. I feel more comfortable with with the old timers. Um, and yeah, that's just how it's going to be with me. So I have a little more freedom to say what I want to say, uh, in, in, in front of older people. Hmm. That's interesting. Um, but yeah, I don't think you should be fake. Well, you know, assuming you can't please everybody. Uh, but there's a way of being honest and not being rude, you know, or not being hostile. And I think striking that balance, uh, it's tough, you know. It's, I think it's a, a constant, you know, negotiation and something you have to work on. You do uh, well, like you know, and and with my line of work, you know, I'm not, you know, when it comes to music, and you you know me probably as well as anybody. I I lavish praise because I've been around so many just absolutely mind blowing musicians, or I've listened to mind-blowing people that aren't from this planet. Their, their skill set's so great. And, and when it comes to, like, my line of work, you know, I'm not that impressed, you know, and, and I don't want to lie to somebody and say, oh, yeah, you know, Joe Blow down the street, yeah, he's great. Go ahead and go train with him. I can't say that unless it's true. And in 99.9 .9 times, it's just not true. These guys just don't impress me. I can pick apart what they're doing. Um, even their, you know, just even, even their basics are, are, you know, the fundamentals may, may not be there. So I think that kind of gives me a bad rep. Uh, but I'm honest about it. You can trust my judgment. When I tell you somebody's good, or I recommend go train with this guy, you know, that I'm recommending one of the best fighters or trainers or whatever, you know, in the world. Um, and that's how it is with me with the music or something or magic i'm I'm in the magic of card manipulations i'm i'm not good at all but i know what good people are and who they are and i could say well this guy's better than that guy you know um they're all way over me but uh i, I love that kind of stuff you know so uh so i can easily throw out compliments like boxing you know i'll go all day long and tell you who's great you know uh this guy that guy boom 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 uh but we heard, we don't need to talk out of class here, but, you know, I think all of us yesterday in the group pretty much thought on the same pattern, same wavelength. Um, you know, I, I'm, I come from a world of complete aggression. No one does what I do because there's no need for them in their world to do it. And all these new sports and all these new rules still don't encompass anything even close to, to the stuff that, I, that I've always felt and advocated and that actually other martial artists and self-defense experts through the years have advocated they went about the other guys years ago went about their approach in a different way and hopefully it worked their way worked for them uh, i go about it my way and it's worked for me so uh but i think in today's day and age there's really very little to none of that okay it's all now become sport uh you know, sport only kind of stuff, you know, so I, I can't, 
I'm not the guy to talk to about that because that doesn't impress me, you know. Uh, but any, I mean, I can get impressed by their athleticism and their and their heart and their toughness. But you know, but like with music, you know, there's some music that it's just not going to impress me. It's not challenging. Okay, structurally, the chords aren't there. It's very basic, um, and and sometimes it's it's it goes against well-established and foundational uh, music and compositional theory. So it, so it's not right. Um, so I, I would avoid that, you know. And then you get some ethnic, folk ethnic stuff that is blisteringly, like some, some of the Hungarian stuff is scary good. I mean, the technique, like, you just, your mind is, but it's not good to the ear. Our ears aren't trained to listen to that kind of music, that kind of rhythm, that, and that kind of uh, structure. But I can look back and say, man, that guy's technique is off the charts. I just can't listen to the music. It's, it's, not, it's not my cup of tea. So you have that as well. So it's, it's just variety. Yeah, music's tricky, too, because sometimes simple songs can be great to listen to. Um, you know, it's they, they, you don't have to, I mean, there's different ways, I guess, to appreciate music. So sometimes you can just appreciate the, the, the technical skill. Sometimes, you know, you realize, oh, this is pretty simple. It's a three chord song, but it, it's really enjoyable. It's just well-written or fun. Um, and, uh, you know, and like you said, there's some of it, we're just, our ears are not trained. Or like you said, there's, there's music that breaks the rules, uh, you know, of, of whatever chord progressions, but it can still sound it can still sound interesting or fun. Uh, it can still be enjoyable. Uh, like it's, it's like maybe it's like kind of like fighting. You have to sometimes know when to break the rules, or or see if that you can use that to take advantage of something in a surprising way. Well, kind of like yesterday, some of the stuff I was showing on the ground yesterday, although it wasn't really sportive. I, I you could well some of the stuff I did, I showed yesterday, um, could be was nothing dirty. You know, should have been allowed in all sporting events like the 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 way to the, the, to arm lock them with your legs and the head scissor thing and all of that jazz um but that's because i'm coming from a whole different structure base okay i use different you know i use fundamentals on the ground that are not being used anywhere else so uh you know and and i understand motion and and acceleration and mass and power and force and when you try to add all that into the ground, it's not like what you see on my Lost Art of Hooking videos or something, because I was being produced there. I was taught to show, or I was asked to show how to just teach certain holes. But yeah, um, <clears throat> generally, though, what I like to do still to this day, 30 years later or whatever, however long it's been, is is still not allowed in most competitions. It's it's baffling to me because some of these things are not crippling. Like I don't say, Oh, you absolutely must pluck his eyeball out to get this move to work. Right. But why would you fight for that move when you can pluck his eyeball out or like yesterday fish hook this guy. Now you can, you can get into situations that will totally safe for you will end up completely Ending this situation, you know, you'll get the armbar if that's what you want by fish hooking or whatever other, you know, 
logical ripping technique. Uh, but there, and it, and it's more than just saying pluck his eyeball out or fish hook. That's like saying, well, punch him in the nose. Well, how? If you don't know how to punch him in the nose, if you don't know how to get to the nose, if you don't know how to set all that up, saying to somebody, punch him in the nose, is just not sufficient. And that's how it is with, with a lot of this stuff. Well, I can just, you know, well, I'll just rip his eyeballs out, or I'll just, you know, pull his hair, or whatever. Saying it, no. How do you do it? You know how to do it? No. You know, these people probably don't. So that's why, and conversely, these these other people who say, well, you know, he tried to do this to me. I gouges don't work because I was able to defend that. Yeah, you were able to defend it because he has no idea. Okay? He literally has no idea how to even really do an eye gouge and how to set it up and all that. It would be like me saying to, to you in a boxing sense, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just throw a, a, a straight right hand and knock him out. So I cock back like this and I throw this wild you know, right hand, looping it. Of course you're going to block that. Does that mean now, well, no right hand, right hands don't work. You know, I can block right hands. No, you're not going to block a straight right hand if somebody's throwing it right and they set it up right and all of that jazz. So I think a lot of people who aren't, who just don't have as much knowledge as they think they do, they make these broad statements like this won't work or this won't work or this won't work. They may not have worked with the people that you're working out with or training with, but go up against somebody who knows what they're doing in that specific technique. And I mean, really knows it inside and out. And you'll come back with a, if you know, you'll, you'll have humble pie. You'll, you'll be saying, Oh yeah, I guess I was wrong all these years, you know? And, and yeah, that's the way it is. So I think you have a lot of that now. Like I'll watch some of these self-defense videos in the past. I can't watch them anymore because they're ludicrous. Uh, they're all set up, prearranged. These techniques, the way they're shown will not work, period, because you don't understand how simple it would be to prevent that from happening, even by an untrained person. Okay, just somebody's – one of the biggest things you have to re remember, if you're doing some multi-stage move, okay, and you practice it in a certain way, over and over again, so you have it down pat in that certain way, you need, number one, to completely replicate it in the street, not your movements, because you should have that down pat, but the opponent's movement. And if you do something, let's say, that startles the opponent, perhaps, he's not going to react like your training partner. Now the rest of your house of cards is going to fall apart, okay? So that's why when I see these guys showing, oh, we do it this way or that way, no. That's not the way to practice. That's not the way to teach it because it's not going to happen like that, perhaps, in the real world. Remember that six months ago or whatever it was when you, you had a question about attacking me with a pipe or some shit, whatever it was? Mm -hmm. I said, don't even explain it. I don't want to know what you're going to do. Just come at me. And you'll see what I'm going to do. Just come at me. No rehearsals. Because you could have easily said, oh, what if I came over like this? I could have came, oh, I could do this, this, that. Bullshit. That's a con job. I can say, just come on and you'll see what's going to happen to you. That's how it has to be. But you have to have years of experience to be able to pull that off. So before we tie things up, 
is next next weekend is the next uh workshop is that correct it's the 28th from 10 a.m to 12 noon at dupage krav maga and glen ellen um i always say downers grow but I, it's glen ellen it's on my website it's on my front page and they're also a link to the seminars on top um chuck may dupage krav maga i think they have a facebook page they might um and of course we'll have the links here um so uh I hope to see you'll be there. So uh, I'll be there. Um, and yeah, we'll, we'll get her going. Uh, I know a couple of people that normally are going to be there. Aren't one guy has to get it. just had a hip replacement. Another guy's in, in Romania uh, for vacation. Um, so I don't know what, so I never plan anything. That's what's cool about these workshops. Like yesterday's, I don't, I don't ever go there with any ideas. You know, I'm just a blank piece of paper and what do you guys need to know you know and then we go from there nothing is prepared uh because these are workshops and and it and it works out for the people because like the, the guy from texas desmond we were able to focus with him and i could spend he basically got a two-hour private lesson for the most part um because i was able to uh you know work with him and the other people there needed these moves as well and then he starts asking questions and then Martin was there and Martin's asking questions and scenarios. And that's how, you know, me, that's how I work best. You know, when I can just improvise, Oh, you want to see this? Boom. Here's how we can do that. Here's how we can do that. Here's how you open up for a punch. Here's how you set up a rip. Um, even that thing I did to you, you know, when you were cross chesting me and it, it did, you know, these are, Moves that you would be able to pull off against any grappler in the world, any anyone at any skill world champion. They could have twenty world championships. You'd have, you'd have been able to do that move on them and end the fight. Okay, why? Because the way they train sets themselves up for it. You know, it's like imagine a guy. This is how I equate it because it's really almost the same scenario that they they're going up in a boxing match with their hands behind their back and they're just going up to a guy with sticking their chin out. Any boxer in the world is going to knock them out, okay? And there's grappling equivalences to that, that because of the rules, you know, they can't be, um, you can't capitalize on, on these openings, but there are equivalents in grappling that are so broad, they're almost like walking up to a boxer with your hands behind your back because they have openings on their body that are completely unprotected at all times and you know it it's always going to be that way because the rules they're they're rule sets they, these guys are phenomenal in their sport they're absolutely phenomenal in what they do I, but you 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 know you you could easily manipulate those rules to to, to you'll get them out of that rule set and you're in they're in, they're in hot water so that's what i like about the uh these uh what do you call them workshops because we we can do things that you're not going to see anywhere else that's what i like yeah definitely i think that the both both groups that we work with are open-minded and, and are not trying to fit your techniques into their rule set which i always think is they're they're coming at it wrong if that's what they're if you're coming to do i mean you can definitely pull some of these moves off well, not the moves that we worked yesterday, but uh, there are obviously a lot of catch moves you can do within a rule set, but why censor it? This, you're missing the point of uh, 
you know, why to do this training? That's not what this is for. No, yeah, no, it, it's not. And, you know, when the more rule oriented things you're doing, the worse it is uh, for the purity of it. And, uh, and all of the knowledge will go down the toilet. Uh, and it's more than just holds. It's the structure. You know, your whole approach to fighting changes um, completely when other things, rips or certain submissions that nobody's seen before or applications and stuff, when those are not allowed or, or nobody else knows them, and now you, you, you're, you're getting tapped like a drum because we know them and you don't, your, your whole structure has to change because you're, the way you wrestle, let's say, or fight, you're giving me these moves, okay? I'm not even looking for them. They're right in front of me. They, they, they've come to me. Uh, so that means you you would have to completely change everything. And that means muscle memory, <laughs> excuse me, and, you know, your, your training philosophies. And that's a lot of work. That that's that's why, you know, I tell people don't put this off because the more you're practicing the way you are practicing currently, the worse it's going to be for you to unlearn those bad habits because they may be good habits for you in that world, but in a different world, they're just bad habits uh, that that are going to expose you. And everybody's gone through it. Okay, straight grapplers that have gotten knocked out, uh, straight strikers that have gotten taken down and tied up. You know. Uh, Non-weapons trainer guys that have gotten stabbed and shot. You know, there's 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 other worlds out there, and the more knowledge that you have, like this grappling yesterday, just imagine with weapons. And you've you've seen me pull some. We we've done some stuff for the membership site where I've had you know I went and I slit your throat in a in a way not literally, but I, I had the knife. You didn't even know I had it on me. Um, this opens your eyes and it makes you realize, well, I can't do what I've just spent five years training. I can't do it because the risk is too great now. That's a wake-up call, you know, for anybody. You know, just like if with all my knowledge and shit, if I walked into a middle of, you know, West Side Story, you know, where everybody's got knives but or guns, six of them, that was nice knowing you because I ain't making it out of here. You know, so it's the same type of scenario and i just want people exposed to the fact that you know the things that you think are great you may be putting you in in you know a lot of jeopardy but anyway people get to meet you at these these things and that's that could be intimidating for a lot of folks yeah just make sure you bring extra cash i do charge for autographs um just to keep it down to a minimum you know uh it all goes to charity so um myself being that charity oh i see but definitely, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll sign whatever uh, item or body part you want. D- depending on the body part, the fees go up, um, of course. So, can I? Like, I mean, well, we'll talk off <laughs> yeah. off camera about your fees, your charges, and stuff. But anything, anyway, I guess we should wrap it up. We've been going on for about an hour and a half. I want want to thank everybody for listening, and hope to see you guys, if not next weekend, uh, in, in an upcoming seminar. And again, there's. If there's any schools, especially local around Chicagoland, you know, think about bringing myself. I'll bring Joe, maybe Martin, but at least Joe uh, in uh, for a, an actual seminar, um, and uh, you know, get 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 a program started for your school on, you know, how to really do this stuff 
for self-defense more than any sport thing, um, let's just keep it going. All right. It's good talking to you. All right, everybody. We'll see you next week. Thank <laughs> you.